Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So Kirby Smart's going into his seventh year being head coach at Georgia. And over the course of that time, there have been a few moments here and there where he's had some pretty entertaining press conference moments, and we can kind of go back and relive some of those. And there's one in particular that's kind of back on my mind a little bit today, both because it is incredibly funny And B, I think it's also incredibly relevant there as well. Now, I want to play this for you, and we're going to set this up for a conversation we need to have in today's show, because as I mentioned on yesterday's show with Connor Riley, something I think came out on Saturday that's not necessarily the, the, I guess, the sexiest type of topic. If you're Paul Feinbaum, the SEC Network, you're not paying super close attention to this. This is not moving the meter uh, necessarily in terms of the more – you know, less plugged in, I guess, observers to Georgia football. This is not going to necessarily rise to their level of notice. But if you're someone who listens to this show on a regular basis, if you're someone who's kind of, you know, deeply entrenched in Dog Nation, you are quite aware of this as a storyline. And I think on Saturday, Kirby gave you some pretty good news related to this. But in order for it to sort of make all sense, I want to go back to last year for a moment because I want to play this for you. So last year, Georgia had Darian Kendrick cornerback. Now, You know the story with Kendrick. Kendrick came over from Clemson, and this was an example of Georgia getting a very high-profile transfer. That's a guy that had been all-ACC performer at Clemson. And when Kendrick first arrived at UGA, I think it was treated as a really big deal. It was also kind of a hot topic because Kendrick had been kind of good for Clemson during the regular season, but not always great for them during the postseason. In the college football playoff, there was some debate going on about what kind of player that Kendrick would turn out to be. That had been a little bit of an issue But for all the intensity around the discussion of Kendrick when he first transferred to Georgia, I think this is probably because of how overall deep and talented the Georgia defense was. Once Kendrick got here, he kind of just sort of blended into the scenery. And I'm not saying that in a critical way of him. I think he sort of did his job last year. But because of the very boisterous seasons that guys like N'Kobe Dean had had and guys like Jordan Davis had had, guys like Devontae Wyatt had had, you know, Trayvon Walker became the number one overall pick. All of a sudden, there's so much attention being splintered off all these other places. And a guy like Darian Kendrick, it's not fair to say that he got lost in the shuffle, but he just sort of quietly did his job. And over the course of the year, the once big time talked about transfer player, As the season progressed, he really wasn't talked about all that much. However, it seemed obvious that he was doing his job well. There is an analytics site called Pro Football Focus. Some of you are very well aware of Pro Football Focus. Some of you don't really care about this kind of stuff at all. I'm sort of halfway in between, I guess, both of those worlds maybe a little bit. But Pro Football Focus has always been, for whatever reason, and last season certainly, very enamored by Darian Kendrick and all those sort of like fancy stats they use and throw around all the time all of that uh you know was just sort of a very prominent social media discussion last year where it's like it seemed like Kendrick wasn't always getting a ton of attention from maybe a show like this because we're too busy talking about the other defensive players but pro football focus was sort of talking about Darian Kendrick all the time and at one point last year Kirby Smart during the press conference was asked about Kendrick and the pro football focus stuff was referenced here this sort of analytics fancy stats type website and Kirby Smart had sort of a memorable rant about I guess his distaste maybe uh, for that particular uh, website I thought it was funny then it's relevant now for reasons that I'll explain but first just because it's kind of fun to do this let's go back and hear kind of a classic Kirby rant impressive uh, analytics on Darion Kendrick I can't validate what they are but just at how well he quantifying how well it looks like he's he's playing can you comment on him specifically what's what he's done for the defense this year and do you think at some point we'll get a chance to visit with young Mr. Kendrick uh, I'm not sure about that but I don't know what analytics should be going by because what I found is if you're I don't know you're referencing PFF or what are you referencing what we, uh, I'm not sure what the source yeah the, the, the ultimate source of it is but what it was like no you know uh, several people use no touchdowns uh, percentage of completion i think those things are 
a joke, really, personally, because when we go talk to NFL scouts, they, they laugh at PFF or what whatever the source may be to get it. What they do is they use them to pull up to evaluate guys. But a lot of times, PFF is a guy that works as another job during the day, and uh, that's just his secondary job to chart whether or not DK or Nicobe Dean or Trevon Walker or uh, Warren McClendon Jamari Saylor did their job, and their evaluation is probably not as important as ours. So that's Kirby Smart kind of going in on pro football focus there a little bit about how you know somebody that works another job and he's just sort of doing this as a hobby or whatever it is that he's saying. And I think at the time, a lot of us were like, "Gosh, Kirby's going in pretty hard here on the analytics, folks." And listen, you know, PFF is not everybody's cup of tea. That's fine, but at the time, it was a little bit interesting to hear you know Kirby Smart go into as much detail about that as he did. But let me tell you why I think this is relevant here today. It's because the truth is, is that pro football focus really did have a lot of so-called analytics that sort of backed up the fact that Kendrick was having a very good season for Georgia a year ago. And maybe Smart believes that, maybe he doesn't. Sometimes he just doesn't want to play along with the narrative. Sometimes it's sort of hard to know. But the pro football focus folks did have some some analytics based on the Kendrick year a season ago, essentially saying that he didn't give up a touchdown and, you know, had they had all these, you know, things about how many snaps he was on the field without allowing a touchdown, whatever else. Uh, that was just kind of their argument. And the the non sort of fancy stat world on this the non sort of analytics world on this kind of also seemed to notice the Darian Kendrick year too he was a second team all SEC from the coaches and the AP there as well so in addition to getting some love from pro football focus he also kind of got some all SEC love at the end of the season despite the fact that during the year last year Darian Kendrick really wasn't being talked about very much and I also understand he's had a pretty good NFL training camp here thus far there as well I think it's with the Rams I think he's had a pretty good training camp thus far too so Darian Kendrick's a good football player but it seems like a lot last year we weren't really quite talking about that which kind of leads us to the present tense and why what smart said then sort of feels relevant here right now because if you really pay close attention to what's happening around georgia i think one of the most prominent issues facing this team as it heads towards the start of the 2022 season is what you do in place of the cornerback spot that Darian Kendrick operated in a year ago the spot opposite Keely Ringo the fact of the matter is Keely Ringo has a chance to be a very high NFL draft pick he's very likely to be a first rounder he could be like a top 10 or top 15 pick that's the kind of talent he seems to bring to the table on the one cornerback side but on the other cornerback side you had a guy like Kendrick a year ago playing at all SEC level getting tons of love from a website like pro football focus and what you do in place of that is kind of a significant issue it's one of the reasons why I thought Saturday was so interesting for Georgia and hearing from Georgia coach Kirby Smart because Kirby Smart was asked directly. And yesterday we talked to Connor Riley about this a little bit because I'm pretty sure Connor's the one that asked this question. But I thought very quietly Kirby Smart gave Georgia fans some pretty good news. To me, it sounds like right now the battle to be the replacement for Darian Kendrick is going really pretty well. It sounds like Kamari Laster's doing well in that respect. And it sounds like Nyland Green's kind of doing well in that respect too because as we said earlier this week, Kirby Smart does not throw around compliments very often and certainly very, very easily. He's slow to want to praise, including with Darian Kendrick and the PFF rant from a little bit before. He just doesn't act too effusive with his praise from time to time. But he didn't really hold back in giving some compliments to both Laster and Green the other day. So maybe one of these off-season issues for Georgia, one of these unanswered questions prior to the start of the season, Maybe it's on its way towards a positive answer. Let me let you hear Kirby in his own words from just this past weekend. That's maybe some proof of that. Here's Kirby. Yeah, both those kids are smart, savvy, tough, physical. I love the way they, they tackle and play. I thought Nylon had some good physical tackles for him. Kamari is one of the, the best tacklers on the team. So it's a lot more about covering at that position than it is tackling. And, and Kamari did some nice things, gave up some plays. He had a really good day the other day where he made a couple plays on fade balls on, uh, on AD. And, uh, you know, Kamari's fighting his tail off for that spot and to help us in some special team spots. But I'm very pleased with the growth of those guys. We won't get through the year with, with just those three, though. We're going to have to have four and five corners to, to survive the season. Connor Riley reported yesterday that he thought that Kamari Laster was on his way to being the starting cornerback for Georgia there at that spot and I said before this ain't what Paul Feinbaum's talking about right Paul Feinbaum talks about coaches and quarterbacks that's the only subject that comes up on a show like that 
On a show like this, though, we get a little bit more into the actual weeds of what's happening for UGA. And replacing Darian Kendrick's a really big deal. And there are a lot of folks out there who say, well, Georgia can't be as good defensively as it was last season. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's just kind of what Georgia's destined to be, something less than the greatest defense of all time, which it may have had last year. But watch these open issues. Watch these unresolved questions. And notice when it seems like Georgia's heading towards some sort of resolution for that. And the cornerback spot right now, I think Kirby Smart gave you some good news. Didn't seem panicked about Kamari Laster. Didn't seem panicked about Nyland Green. Obviously, you know, uh, leaving the door open as well for some of these freshmen to be a part of that competition there too. But it sounds like on the basis of what Smart said right there, that they could put Kamari Laster at cornerback opposite Ringo September 3rd against Oregon. And I don't think they would blink an eye towards doing that. And if you're a Georgia fan, you got to notice the good news. It was a day on Saturday that, from the scrimmage standpoint, those of you who were there I think would echo this, maybe not great for the defense overall, but it sounds like one of the big competitions in a very important spot in the sort of pass-heavy world of college football that we live in now, that cornerback spot to fill in for what what Darian Kendrick did a year ago, sounds like that could be heading towards a positive resolution, and it sounds like Georgia may be just fine at a position that needs to fill prior to the season opener. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pest Management, and glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, or on the radio at noon, on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous DogNation.com. Got a little bit of a late start today with our first and 15 folks over there, DogNation.com, but... um. We are certainly apologetic for that, but we feel like we're kind of in a good rhythm now. Kind of got a good show going here for the moment, so I guess we'll we'll count that as a victory and move on here. Uh, we would not be able to do any of this though without our friends from Breda Pass Manager. Had a little interaction with our buddy Matt Breda on social media this morning because Matt's, a, in addition to being a big sports fan, a big supporter of our local community, including high school football, a big part of our Corky Kell Classic. That kicks off tonight. Happy to have Breda Pass Management as a part of that and especially happy about having Breda Pass Management on board for us here on Dog Nation Daily. This is true for a couple of reasons. A, because they kind of help keep the lights on and the microphone running and me clothed and fed, which I'm always grateful for, but also I'm grateful for what they do for you there too. This is the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. That means they're taking care of Sanford Stadium. They're keeping it termite free. They're keeping it critter free. They're keeping all of that outside Sanford Stadium. The other athletic venues there too, and that level of strength and expertise and really the just the market leading status they've enjoyed for a long time they want to put that to work for you there too and here's one of the ways in which you can kind of tap in and leverage all of their resources to your benefit right away everything right now is more expensive than it's ever been before and for many of you you may have found that your termite service your pest control uh, service is just like that you get that dreaded letter in the mail service costs going up well at Brady Pest Management they can lean on all of the decades worth of experience they have and the hundreds of employees that they have and they can put all of those resources together for you and actually give you great service at a lesser price than you're paying right now. That means when you make the switch to Breda Pass Management, you're going to put more money in your pocket instantly. That's what they're able to do for you. So please check out that website, BredaPest.com. Now, if you're listening, radio podcast, I'm going to spell this for you. It's B-R-E-D-A. That's Breda Pest Management at BredaPest.com. B-R-E-D-A. Check out BredaPest.com. Make the switch to Breda Pest Management for your pest control, for your termite service, and you're going to save money instantly just by doing that. We're going to get a uh, fun conversation with Mike Griffith here coming up. We'll get a uh, Georgia Farm Bureau practice report from him. Mike's seeing a lot of Georgia practice here as of late. Gives us some great insight on that coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, I want to use something kind of cool that I saw on the internet as a springboard to have a little bit of a conversation about Stetson Bennett. Now, you know, at the SEC media days, it's kind of a weird situation where there's a lot of different rooms the various coaches and players move around to. You know, get the big podium where all the media folks are in. There's like another podium that's sort of like a similar type deal. And then the SEC right holders, like CBS for now, uh, SEC Network, ESPN, they've kind of got their own room too. And in one of those, all the coaches are always interviewed by uh, Marty and McGee. You know them from the SEC Network and ESPN. There was actually kind of a wild exchange of the day that was shared between like Marty McGee and Mark Stoops, who's been in the news for a lot here lately, including taking a little bit of a jab at Shane Beamer. At least it seemed like he might have been. So sometimes these sort of like Marty McGee interviews kind of have a little bit of newsworthiness to them. When Kirby Smart sat down with Marty McGee, it wasn't necessarily newsworthy in my mind, but it was 
really cool in terms of Kirby Smart being in a good enough mood to kind of go back and reflect on the path that Stetson Bennett has traveled since having been at UGA. And I think this is kind of cool. I think it sets us up for something else to talk about. But at first, just because it's kind of fun, this is Kirby with Marty McGee on, you know, kind of what he saw from Stetson Bennett when he first arrived at UGA ahead of a starring performance as a scout team quarterback in the uh, postseason of 2017. Here's Kirby with Marty McGee. As he walked him up to the stage, and, and that was my favorite story about it. How has he handled all of this? I think about the first time I ever saw him when he came on the official visit. He was a walk-on. You know, I think about his two parents that were so proud of him, and they had so much confidence. I mean, you know, every parent loves their kid, right? But th- they were convinced this young man was special and was going to be a great player. And we didn't reward him with a scholarship. We just asked him to walk on. And there was a little something different about Stetson. You know, if you go back and look at the quotes in 2017 when we are getting ready to play Oklahoma and he played Baker Mayfield, that's all the kids talked about. Stetson Bennett came on the radar when they said, man, we got this little guy they call the mailman that's killing it on the scout team. And it, it, it made you think there might be something here to this guy. So I love that saying, hey, you know, there was a glimpse that there might be something to him even way back then. And listen, a lot of you know this. This is not like a Johnny-come-lately type conversation. This is not like one of those things that kind of only seems true now on the heels of Stetson Bennett having won the national championship. You can go back and listen to Dog Nation Daily from winter 2017, leading into that college football playoff. There were guys like McCall Harmon and others who were calling him the GOAT back then for what he was doing, playing the role of Baker Mayfield, leading into that national championship, or should say that college ball playoff game against Oklahoma, which Georgia obviously won. Bennett got a ton of credit for that. And I think it's important to know, and this is one of those things that no matter how many times you say it, I don't know that it ever quite feels fully true to everyone, but Bennett, because he was a former walk-on, because he's not the biggest guy in the world, because of this, because of that, it's almost like people want to kind of project on him some sort of like georgia football version of what rudy was for notre dame or something like that the sort of classic underdog that was just hoping for a chance and i guess in one way that's kind of true but in a far different way the thing that attracted those georgia players to bennett back in 2017 was his confidence and frankly kirby smart has gone so far as to say actually just wasn't confidence was cockiness and i think that's important to note that that's what has always made him attractive behind the scenes is the fact that Bennett has an incredibly high level of self-belief. And over the course of last season, I believe that's one of the things that drew Georgia players to him. They began to believe in him because it was obvious that he believed in himself. And let me make one quick final point, then we're going to bring on Mike Griffith here, and we'll talk about Georgia practice. If you look at the AP poll that came out earlier this week, and if you look at the coaches' poll that came out a few days prior to that, and you look at the chatter that's existed around those polls here recently, what is something that everybody says? is that there's a huge chasm between the top three, Bama, Ohio State, and Georgia, and everybody else, including number four, Clemson. That's not just me saying that. You don't have to find, you know, you don't have to look very far to find you know, national reporters, things like that. Pretty much everybody sort of had the same take related to that. Well, why is it then that Georgia is separating itself from a team like Clemson? After all, they played on the field last year. Georgia only won 10 to 3. Clemson missed the playoff last year, but it's been in the playoff many years in a row prior to that. Where is the separation between a team like Georgia at three and a team like Clemson at four. I think right now you have to point to the quarterback position, whereas for all the accolades, a guy like DJ Uyunglele has gotten, the truth is on the field he wasn't as good last year as Stetson Bennett was. And if you're looking for sort of quantifiable, somewhat measurable, although I guess this is slightly intangible, but you know, if you're looking to kind of try to point your finger towards the, the, the Bennett factor makes a difference for UGA. Look at the perception of Georgia compared to Clemson, two teams that have been very good defensively, a team in Clemson that's sort of always been the college football playoff. But the separation that seems to exist between these two right now kind of centers on the quarterback position. Clemson did not get much last year from a former great recruit. Georgia got a whole lot last year from a guy who wasn't quite or even nearly as heralded as a recruit. And that difference is worth pointing out the distinction with, and it's an example of the fact that Stetson Bennett sort of has Georgia back in the uh, postseason conversation we believe here again in 2022 there as well that is around the doghouse before we're done here on dog nation daily presented by breda pass manager today we are going to dive into the top 100 players in college football as listed by espn including a couple of georgia names very near the top on that we'll get into all of that but for now on everything going on with the georgia bulldogs a lot of eyewitness accounts from practice as of late and some interesting things being observed in the midst of all of that let's do it with mike griffith here we call it a 
Georgia Farm Bureau practice report here on Dog Nation Daily here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Say hello to Mike Griffith here. Always uh, fun to have him as part of a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report, insider update, if you will. And Mike, there have been a lot of observation periods for the media as of late. You've had a chance to to, to see a lot here, and I'm curious as you kind of continue to watch this unfold. You're also talking to people behind the scenes too, of course, but you know, based on your own eyewitness accounts and everything else, what are some of your key takeaways about Georgia practice here for the moment? Gosh, Brandon, there's a lot. As you said, I guess I'll start up front because I think the separator for Georgia is the offensive line. I think Georgia's offensive line is what separates it. Uh, Really what separates the best teams in the country is always line play, and uh, I think that's what you start at with Georgia. You know, that that offensive line is, is so good. Uh, you know, it just paves the way for the run game. It gives all sorts of protections for the pass game. Um, and it gives the Georgia ability to, to play so many different ways. And, you know, the pass protection is always good. The, uh, the run blocking is always good. Uh, and I think that's going to be the key to this season is Georgia's ability to run the ball. It always starts with the run game, as Kirby Smart says. We saw that at G-Day. Uh, Georgia must run the ball to be effective throwing it. And I think this offensive line is is as good as it's been in a while. And I I remember now that you had some questions, and I understand that, and and maybe I should too. But what I saw from Broderick Jones when they moved him in the game at left tackle in the national championship game, uh, suddenly it seemed like that offensive line came to life, and they moved Salyer inside. I like Tate Rettlich coming back. I I think, as you said, he's he's a street fighter. I think he's tough. And then you've got so many other good options, whether it's uh, returning Captain Warren Erickson, uh, Devin Willick brings a lot of size, uh, Xavier Truss, another jumbo 320 guy. That's going to be the other guard. So I think the offensive line play is a cornerstone that we probably aren't talking about enough because I think that that is what makes everything else go. And uh, so other things, Kenny McIntosh, I, I know you let us show that the other day with that. Uh, Kenny with a long touchdown run. There's highlights out on that. Gifted runner, cutback ability. Haven't probably seen a, 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 a runner this technical since Swift that could bring these different elements this much versatility. Um, you know, I think that Kendall Milton being out is something to kind of keep an eye on. That hamstring, those can be tricky. But Dejon Edwards is ready to go. Feel very good about the run game and certainly those tight ends. I mean, it's like a room full of superheroes or something. I mean, they're all just... So dynamic, and then and some pre, some speed on the perimeter. Uh, Ladd and Adani Mitchell both reliable. Uh, Kirby with some concerns there, and as you mentioned, Stetson. I mean, he'll be 25 years old this year. I mean, that's a that's a grown man that's playing football with 18 and 19 year olds. So I think that's an advantage to have a quarterback who will now be in his third year uh, starting football games with uh, you know improved decision making, brings an element of mobility there uh, that's very important to the offense and certainly has thrown, uh, shown you that he can throw that beautiful fade off that play action, uh, can really throw that shot play deep ball. All right, so you gave us a lot to uh, unpack there. I want to kind of go through a, a, this a little bit. I want to start the offensive line because, look, we all kind of operate in our own little sewing circles here from time to time. And, you know, a lot of people that I've been talking to over the course of the last couple of days, you know, Ratledge being held out of the scrimmage on Saturday has definitely – raise some eyebrows for some of them john stinchcomb saying on the show monday on the record that he'd be a little bit concerned about this what's being described as a turf toe kirby saying not connected to the liz frank thing that kept ratledge out the 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 previous year but listen you know those of us who are sports fans have kind of been around the block a couple times the word liz frank just kind of sort of lingers in the air because oftentimes these are you know challenging issues and you know what some people are saying to me here a little bit here and there is you know, gosh, I'd be a little bit concerned about the uh, the Ratledge situation having, you know, missed on uh, Saturday after having missed, you know, all of last year. And, you know, maybe it's one of those things where he worked his way into full health over the course of the season, or maybe it was just a blip on the radar and he's fine and he's out there scrimmaging this upcoming Saturday. But, Mike, I don't mind telling you that I don't think that Georgia achieves the best version of its offensive line unless Tate Rattledge is completely healthy. I, I think that Georgia had a good offensive line last year. I don't believe it had a great offensive line over the course of the season. I think Rattledge would have been a huge difference maker in that regard. I think his health this season could allow Georgia to unlock some potential along the offensive line. 
And I can't be sure that he's totally healthy right now. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought right from the jump it was questionable whether he'd start. I think, you know, I've been pretty consistent the whole uh, off season saying that this injury could keep him out uh, at the start of the year. But I think, to your point, I think he does work his way in. I think this is something that you don't rush because, let's be honest, after the Oregon game, you know, you've got some breathers in there. I don't think you really get challenged again until, what, um, I don't know, mid-October, uh, maybe all, maybe maybe Auburn. Um, early October, I guess. I see. I, I don't think any. You know, I think I think you can beat Oregon without Tate Rally. And, and as far as the offensive line, I mean, I can't think of a game when they didn't play well. I thought they played well all last year. A lot of the sacks were coverage sacks or uh, you know blitzes that came in. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't put any of that on the offensive line as much as I would put it on young receivers early in the year, inability to get open, or quarterbacks not finding receivers maybe later. Uh, I, I think that the, the line is going to be adequate. I, I don't think I don't think it's a concern. I, you know, I, there's just so many great options. When I think about Warren McClendon being a third-year starter, and I think about Broderick Jones being a first-round talent at left tackle, I think about Cedric Van Tran and his leadership and toughness, and maybe even an upgrade over the guy that played it in front of him. And then just the depth at guard. I mean, we just go right down the line. My goodness. I mean, there was only four game captains that returned. Warren Erickson came back and. Look, I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but he's assignment sound, and it's not like uh, Oregon is the monsters of the midway. I mean, uh, Utah ran for 240 on them last year, and I won 90 in the other game. So it's not like you're opening up against Alabama. Uh, oh, I have zero concern about the Oregon game. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. I've got zero concern about the Oregon game. I would, I would agree with you. Yeah, on that. yeah. So, so, so my point to my point, I, I think if you know, for if it takes till October. And, and I agree with you. They're not their best without Tate. I absolutely agree with that. But I still think they're the best offensive line in the SEC. Hmm, that's interesting. Even without so yeah, you mentioned me on Monday talking about Kenny McIntosh. I want to get into a couple of these things with you here for a moment because areas in which Kirby Smart was maybe a little more willing to offer compliments than you might normally expect him to do, that is the kind of thing that as you know, media member, fan, whatever you want to call me, that I do lean in a little bit more closely on. And I thought that Kirby gave uh, McIntosh quite a compliment the other day. And, you know, I think we all have a list of guys that were sort of most intrigued to see for the upcoming season. And based on some of the, once again, sort of sewing circle whispers that come out of some of these practices, but also smart on the record, McIntosh is on my list of a guy that I'm really intrigued to see what he looks like in a little bit more of a of a feature-type role this year. I don't mean solely featured. I mean, but more featured than he was a year ago because of the presence of uh, James Cook and, uh, and Samir White on this roster. You know, Dale McGee calling him a complete running back, the kind of guy that can be obviously a weapon in the passing game, but the kind of guy that you don't have to worry about between the tackles there, too. I think the McIntosh is an incredibly interesting player on this team, Mike. Yeah, I think it's very perceptive of you, Brandon. And, and listening to coaches, there, there's usually two main trends in in the art of reading between the lines and understanding the book, interpreting the book of Kirby, as I like to call it, right? And it's two things. Typically, they either try to speak things into existence, or they double down on something they don't want you to know. Um, or, or there's also the time, then they the, the intentional call out, right? Calling out a guy over the microphone at practice while the media is there. Only there 11 minutes. The coach knows exactly what players he wants to put on notice so that mom and dad and coaches back home and cousins and aunts will all message and say, I read about you on Dog Nation that Coach Smart called you out. Is everything okay? And then the kid is, like, surrounded with these pressures, and Kirby doesn't have to be the bad guy. He's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, those media guys, they'll get you. Yeah, well, yeah, Coach, you called my name out in front of everybody. But to your point on, on Kenny Mack, you know, again, I, I think he's the most skilled runner uh, since Swift, and I'm not ready to put him in that category yet because I think Swift belongs with the greats, with the Chubbs and the and the, um, and the uh and the Todd Gurley's of the world, you know that's that's a whole nother level in my book. Um, could he be a Sony Michelle level right now? Probably. South Florida guy played on special teams. Some similarities there. Likes the single digit. The big thing that Kenny brings you that you haven't seen since Swift is that cutback ability. And when you've got a guy that's got that vision, seemingly the eyes in the back of his head that can go back across the grain, it does a couple of things. It changes the way teams play you. They can't be so fast to just swarm to the ball. Because if they go too fast and, and you've got a runner like Kenny, he cuts back. You start, to, you start designing plays. You start designing trap plays uh, for a guy that can change direction and accelerate like that. Now, as to why Kirby would be so effusive with this praise, they're going to have to rely on Kenny, I think. 
I, I'm just not, again, I, you know, Kendall Milton is a guy that I think we all believe has a tremendously high ceiling that belongs in the same conversation as far as potential greatness, maybe a fantasy football league starting running back one day. But he has been oft injured with the sprained knees the past two seasons, uh, late in the year, and now the hamstring. And this is a concern. And it's not that he's done anything wrong. It's just this is football. This is what happens. Mm-hmm. Attrition's part of the game. Mm-hmm. And while I think we're comfortable that Dejon Edwards is assignment sound and ready, at least Kirby said as much, we haven't really seen him get those front-line carries. So it's a little bit of an unknown. Not, not a complete unknown. Not quite as much of an unknown as the freshman backs would be. But, oh, by the way, they're next up. So there's really not the depth in the backfield. I think we all agreed that maybe they're one back short from where they would like to be in terms of quality scholarship backs. So I think a lot's going to be on Kenny's shoulders early. I think he'll be used a lot. I think that uh, he'll be the answer when teams try to really keep an eye on those tight ends and receivers. I think it's going to leave that pass, that swing pass underneath open, and, and Kenny's going to have an opportunity to make some plays. And He's shown some good chemistry with Stefan in the past. So I want to try to do two issues in like the next five minutes. I want to try to cover two uh, things here very quickly. Let me start at wide receiver. You and I did a video on Saturday together after we both saw a little bit of practice. You see these practices all the time. This is a little bit unusual for me to get to be in Athens. I was glad to have been there. And I told you on Saturday, Mike, that I wanted to watch the receivers in particular because this is immediately in the aftermath of the latest Arian Smith injury. And I don't know. I just think that wide receiver is one of those positions for Georgia right now that I am the most, I guess, curious about. And I don't mean pass catchers. I think that Georgia is pretty good in the pass catching department, but specifically wide receivers, I'm a little bit curious about at the moment. I talked on the show earlier this week that if you look at Georgia year after year after year and Kirby Smart, that you see every year, like two of the three top pass catchers each year are kind of new guys they weren't guys who were sort of top three guys a year before that there is a door open either for a KRS or Dominic coming back from injury or a Dylan Bell stepping in and doing like what a Donnie Mitchell would have done a year ago or what a Lad McConkey would have done a year ago or maybe it is just another tight end that kind of elbows his way into this and pushes the wide receivers out but I gotta tell you I don't know that I'm all that much closer to figuring out exactly what Georgia has at the receiver position right now do you feel like you do uh, once again, I think we're on the same page here. Uh, you didn't use the word concern. I noticed you used the word curious. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I would go. I'm, I would go to the next level. I, I'm going to take it to the concern level because Kirby Smart addressed this, and he said every year, you know, they're short, and, and they got they got guys to transfer out. I mean, let's let's not uh, ignore the red elephant in the room. Jermaine Burton would sure look good in a Georgia uniform right now. Uh, you know, Justin Robinson may be a guy if he develops properly. You know, yeah, they're they're talking that that uh, old good old Matt is doing some things at Arkansas. I remember him. I mean, goodness gracious, I uh, couldn't catch a cold in a game, and yet he looks like he might be an Arkansas state. George has had a lot of receivers transferred out, and that's a, that's a horse that you and I beat to death uh, over the former receivers coach, and whether we believe it was valid and related to him or not, I guess we'll never really know. But to your point, uh, we go back. I go back to 2019. I go back to 2019. And uh, I used a circus term to describe the receivers group that year that you did not approve of, so I won't use it again on the air today. But I did not think that they were effective with Jake Fromm, who did not get worse as a quarterback. He got better, but he regressed statistically because the receivers were often injured or not assignment sound. And thank goodness for Lawrence Cager, or you don't have another top 10 season, by the way. So uh, to your point, this position has been tricky. And Kirby called it out. He said every year, you know, the good ones leave early, and if they don't get the ball enough, they leave. So we've seen transfers. We've seen guys leave early. And to your point, every year it's something new. Now, I feel really, really good about Ladd McConkey and A.T. Mitchell. I think these guys are rocks. And Karis Jackson, too. These are proven players. You've got three proven guys. You can go to the bank on these guys. Marcus Roseme, Jack Saint, hopefully he stays healthy. Um, a guy that is, is in development, maybe this is his swing year. If he rounds into form and you've got those four solid guys and, and Dylan Bell comes on or the Morissette kid with the hyperextended knee, you just need a couple of guys to come on. So, But the depth is a concern. You lose one or two guys, and you know, to your point, B.A., we've seen this before. So, I, and Now, I do think that having a guy like Brock Bowers eases the pain a little bit. You know, Interviewing him yesterday, he does not look like a tight end. I'm just going to tell you. Yeah. He doesn't even look like a football player. I mean, you get up on him, you're like, this, this is this, this is it. This is the guy. This is the All-American. This, you know, you, you expect the Captain America muscles or, you know, 
and, and, and he's strong to be sure. He's fit, but maybe that's what's scary. He's got room to get even bigger, stronger. I you know the legs and the build and the speed and the hands, all undeniable. But he's not the force in terms of size uh, that uh, you know the way there Gilbert is. Uh, you know, and, and you just—it's just noticeable, um, or Darnell Washington for that matter. But he's more built like a receiver, so I think you're fine there in terms of number of pass catchers. I feel like those tight ends give you enough of a uh, depth and, op- and, uh, and options that I wouldn't sweat it too much at this point. But to Kirby's point, I do think that that unit is a little thin and worth keeping an eye on. All right, so I want to—I know I told you I was going to try to do two issues. I actually now kind of want to respond to something on that, and we'll just sort of finish off by by doing this in a quick moment. Let me remind folks, though. This is our insider update with Mike Griffith, presented by our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau. They bring their practice report to us each and every week here on Dog Nation Daily, and they also do plenty of good things for you there as well, because the Georgia Farm Bureau agents live and work and do life in communities just like yours and just like mine all across the great state of Georgia. That means they are invested in what we do here, the land that we stand on, the the lives that we live. They're a part of all of that. And they're taking great care of us when it comes to auto insurance and home insurance. That's just what the, the agents at Georgia Farm Bureau are all about. They're always the home team. They love our state. They're a big part of the high school football scene and the, the stuff that we're doing here. And they just love taking care of Georgians because they are Georgians in communities just like ours all across the state. So please make sure you check them out, gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com for a lot more from our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau. And you can find out for yourself why they truly are always the home team. All right, so Mike, I think you bring up some interesting points about who's not here when it comes to Jermaine Burton. But here's what I can tell you, as honest as I know how to be. Let's say that Jermaine Burton didn't transfer away from Georgia. Let's say that he didn't go to Alabama, he's still here. I actually don't know that my questions about the wide receiver position would be any different right now than they otherwise would be. I think that Jermaine Burton's a good player, certainly a good talent. But being on the field a pretty good bit last year, I don't know that he had demonstrably a better year than Ladd McConkey, A.D. Mitchell did. That's not me trashing Burton because I said before he's a good player. But, you know, it's not like Burton set the world on fire himself in a Georgia uniform a year ago that that maybe Georgia would be fine with him. Maybe Georgia would be fine without him. I, I don't know that he's proven himself to be better than McConkey or Mitchell, really either one right now. So for me, whatever Georgia is or isn't at wide receiver, I think that for me would remain true whether Burton was here or not. Yeah, another body, another warm body, a guy with a 197-yard game uh, behind him. It's hard to do. I haven't seen McConkey or Downey do that yet. They might if they get the opportunities, but a proven player that stretches the field and led the receivers with about 19 yards per catch, those that had more than 10 catches. So the down-in and down-out, I think more or less be just a quality depth piece. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm I'm with you. I don't don't think he makes a difference in wins. Although, you know, he did have a couple big plays at the start of the – game uh, what proved to be the game winning touchdown drive but I, I don't know that i i would consider him um you know worth a win or a loss but i think from a depth standpoint having another experienced capable body guy that you've got to worry about um I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say the receiving core would be better with him yeah you always want more good players there's no denying that but yeah. i'm not convinced as of yet that burton is the game-changing player all of a sudden these bama fans have decided he is because he's wearing a different color uniform now Fair enough. I'm not ready to put him in the Jameson Williams class either, and that's why I don't have Alabama number one on my preseason poll. Oh, yeah, well, we'll finish with this then. Who did you vote? I know you wrote about this, dognation.com. Who did you vote number one in your Super 16? I put Ohio State number one. Uh, Dynamic quarterback, C.J. Stroud, uh, path of less resistance in the Big Ten. Um, Just I I think that Ohio State is in a good spot, and I feel like I have questions about those skill position players at Alabama, to your point, Burton and I saw JoJo Earl, the other receiver, got injured. And, you know, Bryce Young's like any other quarterback. you got to have guys to throw to. I don't care how good you are. Jake Fromm found that out in 2019. Um, so, uh, you know, I, unless – and Burton's got to pan out. And they have the Louisville's guy and then the Georgia Tech guy. Didn't the Georgia Tech guy skip the Georgia game? Didn't he basically say he wasn't playing in that game? I mean, that was just I think the entire those- Tech team would have skipped that game if they could. <laughs> <laughs> so if Gibbs did, maybe fact, he, I did skip that. I covered Alabama Auburn, so who am I to speak, right? Listen, but, Mike, uh, uh, tech folks are supposed to be smart. If if if, if Gibbs skipped the Georgia game, then he proved he really is a smart guy. Then uh, you know we always hear how smart these tech guys are. If he was smart enough to skip that game, then he's proven how intelligent he really is. 
you're right. You're right. I, I like Ohio State number one. I also got Clemson as my fourth playoff team. So that's that's kind of how I see it. But who knows, B.A.? I mean, Georgia's going to grow and get better as the season moves on. I think they're going to do what Bama did. And Bama just kind of survived last season, barely beat Florida, lost to A&M, should have lost to Auburn. Uh, and they just kind of survived and got better as they were rebuilding and reloading with young talent. Like, that's what I see for Georgia. Get over this Oregon game. Just get past these ducks. And your schedule is really downhill from there. I think by mid-October, the dogs could really be hit stride. And some of these young players got to stay healthy. Not as much margin for error with injuries this year with so many young guys. But I think a lot of these young guys are just going to grow and get so much better as the year progresses. Mike, good stuff. Thanks for your updates at uh, dognation.com each and every day. And we'll look forward to being back a part of a uh, 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 Georgia Farm Bureau Insider update with you again very soon right here on Dog Nation Daily. Thanks, Brandon. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So something about Brock Bowers that Mike said that I kind of agree with, which is that, and you and tomorrow we'll do more of the Bowers press conference from yesterday. We just didn't have time for that on today's show. We're just so crammed th- these days, it seems like. But um, we'll do more of that tomorrow. Bowers is different than the other tight ends. Like, you know, this sort of like dream team of tight ends, this sort of super friends collection of, of, of tight ends. It's like Darnell Washington's superpowers clearly a size. And I don't know, for whatever reason, Georgia's always had, obviously, big football players, but there's something about Darnell that just seems, it almost seems like he's a Photoshop in real life where they just sort of keep making him bigger and bigger and bigger. I swear, I feel like he's three inches taller every time I see him. He just stands so much bigger and taller than everybody. Wearing the number zero makes him even more noticeable, and you're just kind of overwhelmed when you see it. Uh, And Eric Gilbert's kind of his own version of that, I'd say, a little bit. I think the uh, uh, – Oscar Delp looks really good in a uniform for an incoming freshman. There's a little bit of a wow factor to his size there, too. Number 19, when you first see him on the field, that's not his superpower. He is not visually overwhelming just by looking at him. But when he runs, and y'all saw this yourself during the games a year ago, when he runs, that's where he becomes this, oh, my gosh, did you just see that? It's not until you see him in action that you realize exactly what it is that he's bringing to the table that he can kind of have i think mike may have called it unassuming maybe that's the case uh but when he plays you know it's that catch the football and then just finding that gear and he's gone i mean he really showed that speed a year ago and listen i I get plenty of stuff wrong but i was actually looking at some of this 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 morning just kind of getting some of the bauer stuff ready uh for when we're going to talk about it i was on this pretty early now uh there are a lot of people who uh, can point out all the ways in which I've been wrong over the course of time, and I do get plenty wrong. But I was on this pretty early. I was I was in September talking about Bowers maybe having the most prolific pass catching year of any Kirby Smart player, comparing him to George Pickens. Uh, even you know pretty early in the season, he had six catches against Clemson, as for instance. Uh, he was you know by far George's leading receiver that day in the season opener, and really kind of became the favorite target in every game after that for the entirety of the season. It was pretty obvious pretty early that Bowers was. Uh, uh, what is it they say in the NFL now? He's him, that Bowers was him, and uh, that is indeed the case there. So uh, fun to hear him meeting with the reporters yesterday. We'll play some of that audio here this week as a part of what we do here. For now, though, we got to go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Y'all know I love a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, and I wish it was on one right now. Uh, it's a little rainy today. 400 was all backed up as I'm trying to drive into work. There's a certainly a moment when I close my eyes and just sort of think, man, it'd be nice to be in the Bahamas right now. Perfect day, Coco Cay. You know, that private island right there in the Bahamas. Man, I just love it. And so many of the Royal Caribbean cruise itineraries take you to perfect day, Coco Cay. And listen, I'm not one to tell you what to do, but here's what I would tell you, is that when I start my search for a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, I've got two planned here within the next few months, of course, after the uh, football season of course but when i start my search for a royal caribbean cruise vacation i'm essentially beginning with cruise itineraries that make a stopover at perfect day coco Cay because that's how much i love it it's the private island there's a thrill side there's a chill side and when you sail up towards the island it's always so cool because you see some of this stuff kind of coming into your vision into the frame and you see the tallest water slide in north america on one side of the island you see the largest freshwater pool in the bahamas on the other side of that island and you just realize man this is going to be a great day hanging out and doing all the things you do when you're right there in a beautiful perfect oasis right there in the uh Bahamas, which is what Perfect Day Coco Cay is all about. So our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority can help you out that. You can find them online 
uh, their website, tcava.com, tcava.com, and you can give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. I have a lot of friends that work at Royal Caribbean. They all say the same thing. Your best Royal Caribbean cruise vacation experience is going to come by booking with a great travel agent, and that's what uh, we recommend for you around here there as well. All right, let's go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean here today, and I want to kind of keep this focused on just sort of one topic here for a moment. It's related to the ESPN list of the top 100 players in college football. We love lists. Everybody on the internet, for the most part, does because, let's face it, the way in which sports fans show their love for sports is by arguing about stuff. I don't mean like nasty arguments. I mean just sort of fun sporting arguments. And arguing about who's the best players and where they're ranked and what they are is kind of a fun thing to do. However, I kind of want to take this from a slightly different tact here for a moment. So if you look at the list from ESPN in terms of who's ranked where, here's what you see right off the top. Number one and number two, both for Alabama. Will Anderson Jr., best player in the country, according to Alabama. I wouldn't disagree with that. Bryce Young at number two, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. I don't know that I'd really disagree with that either. I think that both these players are very firmly in the argument to be the best two players in the entire country. We have a lot of Alabama fans that enjoy coming on here and messing with us from time to time. If you're a Bama fan, you want to hear me say this, I don't mind telling you. I think that Will Anderson and Bryce Young may be the two best players in college football. But this is where the idea kind of changes here a little bit. That does not mean necessarily that the team with the two best players is going to go on and win the national championship. Because as you know, even Bama fans are capable of figuring this out. That football is not basketball. In basketball, if you've got Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, you got a big leg up on anybody you might play. If you've got Shaq and Kobe, you got a big leg up over who you might play. Um, if you've got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you're not in such a good shape. But, if you, but you know what I'm saying? Some of these like sort of super teams, if you've got the tandem of the best guy and maybe the next best guy, and in some cases that's kind of been true in basketball history, because there are only five guys on the floor, then you're probably going to win the national championship or the world championship in the case of the NBA. But in football – even if you've got the best guy on offense, there are still 10 other players on the field. And on defense, even if you've got the best defensive player, there are 10 other players on the field. And you say, well, Alabama's got good players there too. They obviously do. But the story of a season is not necessarily going to be told by best player in the country, second best player in the country. It's going to be told by everything else that happens around that. So there will be no concession on our part about the upcoming season simply because Alabama has both Bryce Young and Will Anderson Jr. That's not going to happen because the honest truth is is that Georgia's not too far behind on this. When you look at the top 10 here, you see, according to ESPN, Jalen Carter coming in at number six. I think that Carter is also in the conversation, maybe be the best overall player in the country here this year, but I don't have a problem with Will Anderson starting off ranked ahead of him, but I'm not conceding much in the comparison between Carter and Anderson. I'm willing to let that play out. There's a chance that Carter becomes Georgia's second consecutive number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Beyond that, you got Brock Bowers, who we were talking about a moment ago. He comes in at number eight. So for a lot of people who just sort of seem like it's obvious that Georgia's going to take a big step back here this season, well, I, I don't know that a list like this, if you put any faith and trust in it whatsoever, the ESPN ranking of the very best players in the country here for this year, the fact that Georgia already has two of the top end guys, one on offense and one on defense. And when we talk more about Bowers tomorrow, I think one of the things we're going to kind of center in on is, is – you, for the most part, just sort of have to get rid of the label on him. This is just a playmaker. You know, earlier in the summer, and listen, I deserve a little bit of you know grief every now and then. You know, I, I don't mind, you know, getting beaten up on from time to time. But people were kind of mocking me a little bit because I was sort of saying that I don't really want to see Bowers considered a tight end anymore. I want to think of him as a wide receiver. And I think even our own Terrence Edwards said, no, I'm not going to quite do that as of yet. But the fact is, when the Belitnikoff Award watch list came out the other day, and I realized the watch list not a real thing that it doesn't mean much but Bowers was on that watch list he was one of only two tight ends on there Michael Mayer from Notre Dame was on there there as well so the point is is that for a long time Georgia wouldn't have really had a pass catching target anywhere near not top 10 not top 100 how many years in the Kirby Smart era would Georgia not have had a top 100 player when it comes to catching the football well, now they got a top 10 player in the entire country there on that. And they've also got a, a defensive lineman, a guy like Keely Ringo shows up on a list like this too. Y'all, if you don't 
take anything else from this topic, take this. Georgia is more than fine when it comes to the top-end talent required to win a national championship. More than fine. Now, they've got some questions. We talked about you know what they're doing at cornerback a little earlier and you know the offensive line, what happens if Tate Rattledge is a little bit more banged up than maybe we initially hoped or thought or whatever else. It's not as if this team is without questions, but in terms of the biggest question, do you have the potential for the sort of top-end superstar-type players required to win a national championship? The answer to that question for Georgia is an emphatic yes. And there will be no conceding, well, gosh, Alabama's got the best players this year. I guess it's their season. Or even for Ohio State, who I don't have a problem being ranked near the top. I I think it's kind of odd that there's such a unanimous consensus they should be ranked ahead of Georgia. I think that's odd, and I've told you why before. But in terms of some some sort of concession, uh, I guess this year Georgia just lost too much. On the basis of lists like this, Georgia's right where it needs to be. So the season will play out, and all of this will be determined come December and January. But if you're a UGA fan, you care about ESPN rankings whatsoever, I think you take something pretty good from some of what you're seeing there on that, and we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And we'll also take this moment to give a little bit of a shout-out and a call-out for you to participate in something we do each and every Friday around here. We love the weekend. Now, this weekend's not going to be a true weekend for me because I'm going to be working a lot, although I would not have that any other way. But for the most part, we love celebrating the arrival of the weekend, and our friends at the Finnish Long Drink are a big part of our weekend plans around here every every single weekend. So when it comes to our big finish later on in the week, we want to highlight you enjoying yourself some Finnish Long Drink. I've actually already got a few of these upcoming for this week, including a couple of photos. You know, when I see folks enjoying the beach, or the mountains, or the lake, or the golf course, whatever they're doing, I always get really jealous because that's where I wish I was in most of these instances. But uh, I'm happy to see all of you having a good time and enjoying yourself. So we want to highlight that with our friends from the Finnish Long Drink later on this week. So send us your submission enjoying the finished long drink and we'll show you off to our audience coming up on friday as a part of our big finish presented by the finished long drink if you're like well ba i hear you talking about this finished long drink but i'm still not quite so sure what it is well you can go to the longdrink.com and find out a lot more about that there are four different varieties there's a long drink cranberry that's like a cranberry flavor with a gin kick long drink strong eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero no carbs no sugar there's the long drink traditional in the blue can it's got the grapefruit flavor it's a cool story it kind of came from helsinki going back to the 1950s been in america for a couple of years it's all over georgia now and dog nation loves it so the longdrink.com the website to go to to find out more about that pick yourself up some send us a photo of you enjoying it and we'll highlight you as part of our big finish presented by the finish long drink coming up on friday and so every now and then i get a little snarky on twitter and it's just one of those things i just like doing i guess i'm just sort of a sarcastic person by nature sometimes you kind of catch that with me doing the regular show i'm a nice guy but there's this little bit of sarcasm that sort of drips into my voice from time to time and that's probably what you see on twitter from time to time there too so i was making fun of alabama for something yesterday i honestly don't even remember what it was but uh, a couple of you were kind enough to say that i ought to win the golden shoe so this was me yesterday about the uh, new ncaa video game uh saying it's going to allow you to erase any loss by declaring a rebuilding year that's what i said about this and some of y'all were laughing about that nate sent this to me saying he (laughs) i don't know i love the fact that the stetson bennett uh photo from the other day is now a meme and so nate sends this to me saying the golden shoe award goes to brandon adams which is really funny, Nate. So I will accept that on behalf of uh, Dog Nation everywhere. And Nate, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Very funny stuff there on Twitter. Uh, that Bennett picture is getting a lot of mileage these days. And lousy stinking Gators, uh, they've got nothing to celebrate these days because it's been 4,969 days since they've won a national championship. And 73 days from right now, bad news. Gator Hedger countdown, dogs are coming for them in jacksonville once again we don't know how long the cocktail party is going to last but we're going to enjoy it this year and we will see you tomorrow on dog nation daily presented by breda pest management